We all want to believe in something, but how far will we go to find meaning? From the executive producer of Friday Night Lights, Hulu's new original drama series, The Path, takes audiences inside the mysterious world of a controversial cult-like movement. Starring Aaron Paul, Michelle Monaghan, and Hugh Dancy, and hailed by the Hollywood Reporter as impressive and riveting, The Path takes an in-depth look at the gravitational pull of belief and what it means to choose between the life we live and the life we want. The Path, now streaming, new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And if it sounds like we're, we're recording in the same location, that's because we are... Woo! Yeah. Offices. Offices. We are now here both officially in the LA offices of IndieWire, uh, and... We have both, we're, you know, doing all right, I think, with it. I think we're both, you know, adjusting as best we can. Yes, it's very intriguing to be able to listen to each other's interviews now. When we do phone interviews, it's basically a two-person operation where one person, you know, keeps working, but, you know, listens in, and the other person just does the interview. Yeah, um, and then pretends like they're, they, we haven't heard everything that's been said. Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's and but we also and we also means we get to record the podcast together in the same place, and get to have real time reactions to certain questions like, "What'd you think of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season two, Ben?" I loved it. Hooray! What do you think, Liz? I had issues. Aw, Liz, boo. Um. So before we begin, uh, do we want to keep this spoiler light, spoiler free, or spoiler heavy? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's no way we could do spoiler-free at this point. I just think there's too many specific moments to talk about. Um, I don't think we need to go into, like, the finale, but I'd say probably within the first half of the season. Like, we'll, okay. be, we'll be fairly spoilery. And also, there might be some casting stuff that gets mentioned. Yeah, let's, we, we should try to hide the finale casting, though. Okay. Like, that's probably one that I think, as you mentioned in your lovely spoiler review, um, that that they really build up too well and they earn it. So. Yeah. Yeah, just to know that uh, if you're wondering who plays Kimmy's mom, we're probably not going to we're unless like one of us slips, we're not going to tell you in this podcast, but it's worth the wait. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in terms of breaking it down, like the you know, my review basically focused on the fact that I was waiting for more momentum for this season than it than it had. And I also had some, like, I felt like there were some storylines that kind of weren't necessarily essential or at some points even, like, highlighted the fact that they felt unessential. And, but I want to start off by getting your perspective. Um, I, I actually felt that this season held together really, really well. Um, I thought that they were approaching something that was a little more difficult than what they did in season one but I thought that it worked a little bit better. Like season one, you could kind of tell that eventually they were going to, to build up to that, not necessarily like a courtroom finale like they did, but you knew that something, some sort of confrontation with the Reverend had to be coming. Right. Like that just, you just, you knew it. Like all of the flashbacks were, were much heavier. Um, the bunker scenes were, you know, just, they were prevalent. You knew that that reveal was coming and, and then how long they spent on it was going to be the que- like the only real question at the end of the season. Um, I felt they actually spent far too long with the Reverend in season one. I love John Hamm. Um, I, I think he gives an incredible performance, but I thought that that felt more stagnant. I didn't feel that that really drove things forward as much as they felt that it did. I knew that it was necessary. I liked that they dealt with it. I thought the suspense that they tried to build up around the case itself and whether or not he was going to get you know, thrown in jail or not 
Uh, I just didn't feel like that kind of suspenseful tact worked as well as what they did in this season, which I, I really admired. I thought that they were trying to break down Kimmy and show how she could be a real person and still remain as positive as she is because she's one of those people that you meet in the first season where you're like, okay, she went through this horrible ordeal. We're not even really going to address it you know, that head on. So many people watch this without even thinking about the fact that, that Kimmy you know, went through what she went through down in that bunker, like words that you don't even want to mention when you're talking about a comedy this funny and light and breezy and, and, and hilarious. Um, but I felt like season two really dealt with that in a very honest way. I really liked the introduction of Tina Fey's character at the end of the or in the later half of the season. Um, I thought that she really helped things out, and no, it's not, it's it's not uh, the lawyer, um, the the not not Marsha, the not not Marsha Clark lawyer from season one. It's a new character, um, but uh, but no, I I honestly I thought that it just held together really well. I thought that it uh, it it moved very consciously from point to point. Um, and that its structuring was a little more grounded than season one. I agree with you about everything you're saying, except I mean that, the fact that it felt more grounded, that they did solid work in developing, like, you know, really making it about, about uh, Kimmy's journey, like kind of coming, you know, continuing to process her feelings and her trauma. I think all of that was definitely great. I just, I think... I think it needed a, I need it needed like the exterior oomph of a bigger plot like element. That's kind of what I was hoping for. And instead, there are maybe maybe like three full episodes devoted to Kimmy going to therapy, which I wouldn't say has sort of the same 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 dramatic heft. So yeah, I, I actually might we might just be disagreeing on what we're looking for from the show because I feel like that maybe that oomph of what you're talking about would have been what they did in season one where they you know went to to Dernsville Dernsville, for the the trial and that felt very disconnected to me it's like they went out of New York it didn't quite feel like they were in the same universe anymore it felt very jarring and I didn't like spending as much time as we spent outside of that whereas this was a very important decision for Kimmy to make but it kept her within the confines of New York City which means she's kept within all the other characters it kept everything kind of revolving around what was important to her as well as what was important to everybody else. So that really worked for me, whereas the other one, as entertaining as it was when it first happened, as like seeing you know Tina Fey pop up and seeing John Hamm pop up and seeing their delightful little cameos and tidbits and having you know that kind of uh, comedic dynamic going on within you know all of these wonderful actors really worked. The actual extension of it and then taking it out where they went to plot-wise, it, it, it didn't connect the same as it did for me. And what I liked about, again, in season two, the therapy decision was that they, they really broke it down because it's hard for people to go to therapy, especially the first time you go. It's really, really difficult. It's got you know a black mark on it, even though it shouldn't by now. It's, it's just something that's healthy and important to do. And that, that really big episode for me was the one where Kimmy gives up. And they go over why somebody like Kimmy Schmidt, who is unbreakable, can give up for the right reasons and move forward. And I saw that as such a step in the right direction, such a monumental movement for her character to be able to move on to the next stage that, I, I don't know, I just really admired that in hindsight after getting through the rest of the season. No, and it's, like I said, I, I like I said, I have nothing against, I have nothing against the fact that the show chose to dove so much into her psyche. Like, in fact, I think that's one of the show's greatest strengths in general is always that it's, so character-based in that respect. But I think, like, it's not just so much the fact that I 
felt like that there I felt like the uh, you know there needed to be a, a little bit more plot have more plot to it I think also the other the other thing that I think this season kind of highlights is the fact that you know the, the show hasn't really figured out how to use its ensemble I don't think like I think like they they have an incredible group of actors. They have an incredible group of characters that these people are playing. They're always really fun and hilarious together, but they haven't really figured out like mechanics by which it makes sense for them all to be interacting. And I, you know, they you, they want to like have all these characters work together and go on adventures and so forth. And it's like, you know, they really want to pair up people like Jane Krakowski and Carol Kane, but it's it's always it never feels organic or natural. There was a, I, I did notice as I was going through, it felt like there was a, a, a large gap without Jane Krakowski's Jacqueline character. Oh yeah, she definitely, um, she definitely, and which is, given that she easily had one of the more interesting, I think, potential arcs, with the, you know, basically like trying, you know, quote unquote, keep the girl, lose the jerk, keep the perks, you know, stay a social <laughs> climber while also not having any money. Like that's a really interesting thing and there was a lot of room for there, but I think, yeah, she did definitely kind of, fade in and out and to me I mean I I, I love Jane Kukowski I really love her character on this um, I I was sad when I realized that she'd been gone for so long but it, it didn't actually bother me that much in, in terms of, of going through the season and this was something that I binged through in, in about a day and a half um, and, and I, I don't know if that was a conscious decision that they made in the sense that people are binging this it's six and a half hours long mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if there's an hour or, or even two hours without, well, not there wouldn't be two, but uh, you know, around an hour and a half without Jane Krakowski, it's not going to be as damaging as if there's like four weeks without Jane Krakowski. Um, I, I don't know if that was a consideration, but it, it helped me when I was binging it to overlook that kind of fact. And I didn't feel like the show lagged or, or, or was, was in need of stronger plot lines to kind of get through it. I don't know. I mean, I agree with you in the sense that I don't feel like the ensemble has come together quite like it did on 30 Rock, but that's something where literally the title of the show is what keeps them all in the same room, keeps them interacting with each other, keeps them coming back. This is something that they have to figure out ways to kind of make these people come together, and I think they could probably do a little bit better job of that and making it more easily digestible, something easily, uh, you know, a little more believable that they they you know come mm. come together like that, but it wasn't something necessarily that bothered me because I do feel like they're exploring so many different issues of identity with these different characters that it makes a little bit of sense for them to go their own way. Right. No, and I think like it's it's not so much that I didn't like I didn't I, I had a major issue with it in season two. It's more that I worry that see I, I, season three I think needs to kind of step up and figure out like a new engine. A new story engine, because I, I think that it will need it, frankly. Uh, I I don't know. I definitely am not anywhere near a panic button for the show. I don't I don't know if it needs anything more than Kimmy's continued journey, because Kimmy still is someone who's fascinating. Like as as a person, you know, obviously her backstory puts her in a very unique position. But I mean, just the idea of someone as positive as she is and someone as unbreakable as she is, you know, continuing to become even more human and adjusting to the world around her, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to me no matter what else is happening. Um, and I, I like I like everybody else on the show as well. Plus, you know, without getting into spoiler territory, they do give you a little bit of a tease at the end of the season as to 
what's coming next. No, and I love I love the tease at the end of the at the end of the season. Like that that's exciting to me. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I think the problem is like if if this show didn't still have something resembling uh, resembling a traditional sitcom structure to it, I'd be happier. But like what what you what you end up with is like in later in later episodes in the season, uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff happening centered around Kimmy, but like there's like a t- at least one Titus plot line like later in the season. Uh, it, I'll 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 be vague and say it's the one where Titus goes goes to the movie theater, um, but as well intentioned as that whole thing was, I it it's it. it the only reason I remember it is because of how forgettable and inconsequential it was, and I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling. I mean, it was fine. It was fine. It was a, but it was. It felt like it. It didn't have anything. It didn't really connect with me at all, and it felt like something that was just kind of there because oh, we need to have a beeline for Titus. What's he going to do? Okay, we'll have this random thing happen with him. I think that's an interesting point to bring up, but I think that's a that's kind of a larger question about what the show is two people specifically because you know it is a sitcom like it is something that is is very much written as a sitcom and it always has been I don't know if that's necessarily a problem for me to have an expendable storyline if it's still really really funny which I find just about everything Titus does to be I'm just saying like Master of None would never have had a storyline but Master of None is a different show like that, that is very much more about this is very much more about the laughs. This is definitely putting humor above everything else. Master of None is, is putting issues before humor. But I mean, at the same time, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, your your point your point that they're different shows is fair. I just think that if if Kimmy Schmidt wants to be this kind of really in depth, intimate, and by the way, I I am I, I feel like I'm being a real hater on a show that I genuinely love. Like, I'm just trying to be nitty gritty about certain critiques. And Ben is and also disagree with Ben, which is, of course, a thing I enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, also, you got to write the review on this one, so you probably were a little more nitty-gritty into it. I was the one who got to just casually binge it and, and fly through and enjoy. So you've probably spent, a, I mean, you have spent a lot more time with this kind of sitting with you, like actually thinking about it. You saw the first six, right? Yeah. And you wrote a, a review for that And I think uh, my review, my, and I think, honestly, the thing was with my review for that first six, it was like, there's a lot of good stuff here. Hopefully they have a more more centered plot arc uh, for the back half of the season. And to be fair, they kind of did. Uh, and we we should talk a little bit vaguely, at least about about Tina Fey's entrance into the show. Because, um, and and again, you got to casual as a casual binger. Did you feel like her the the amount, the amount of time screen time she got was 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 the right amount of time? Yeah. You wouldn't you you wouldn't have been happier with less. Oh, absolutely not. I would have been happier. I may have been a little happier had they come up with um, either one of two things. And see this without getting too spoilery. I'll just say Tina Fey is not a great drunk actor. She does not act drunk well. She would not make it on the wire. <laughs> Our gold standard. Our gold standard of drunk acting. Um, that was the only thing that kind of irked me about Tina Fey's presence on the show. The, the the amount of screen time for her I thought was very well justified in the sense that they didn't go that far into her personal side stories. You got a little bit of mystery going on with what her personal life actually was. It was mainly just left open to provide easy, well not easy, but 
uh, to provide fodder for humor, which worked out pretty well. Um, and then again, you know, maybe it's it's me and my personal kind of interest in, in the the psychological aspects of characters. Hello, Kevin on the leftovers, but um, slash everyone on the leftovers. <laughs> but uh, but no, like I I really enjoyed her introduction as a therapist because that really opened Kimmy up. That put her on a lot of interesting paths that I involved uh, that I enjoyed following. And again, in, in retrospect, after finishing the season going back and appreciating kind of the journey that she took in the first six-ish episodes to actually be willing to go into therapy Mm -hmm. was great to watch. No, and I agree with you. I just, there was a part of me that was kind of surprised by how many episodes Tina Fey featured in, given how, you know, you mentioned they threw out, they they, they tossed out a lot of, like, random character description, random character tidbits about her, but they never they always kind of came out of nowhere, were kind of random, and they never really coalesced. And the whole thing kind of ended up being a one-note joke. Um, uh, how, how do you mean? Just like the idea of, you know, as we mentioned, Tina Fey plays a therapist. She also is an alcoholic. And basically that's kind of, it's like the drunk, drunk, uh, drunk Andrea versus sober Andrea, like, dichotomy is essentially what they're riffing on for the most part, but it doesn't say it doesn't stay super funny, at least given the amount of time it gets. I I would agree that the the idea that like the joke playing off of the idea of whether or not she's drunk or sober at any given moment maybe doesn't work as long as they think it does. Um, it didn't really bother me though because again I, I think her character, despite the amount of screen time that she had was putting so much emphasis on Kimmy rather than herself, which is why, you know, her backstory was left so open and and so many of those little details, you know, didn't necessarily build to a a fully fledged three-dimensional character. It's because she's not trying to be a new member of the gang. She's, She's literally just there to get Kimmy talking and to get her moving towards a certain goal. And that goal was absolutely reached by the end of the season. So that didn't bother me as much that the that the that maybe they stretched the is she drunk or is she not drunk joke a little bit too long. Okay, that's fair. But you have there's another thing we disagree on uh, that I know we were talking about beforehand, um, and it's something from earlier in the season. So I feel I think we it's, and it's also it's something that I think will be discussed a fair amount, which is episode three, uh, in which uh, Titus puts on his one man show. Yeah. Um, and so the. The thing about this episode, and so without getting into too many too 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 much detail, the internet does not respond kindly to Titus putting on a one man show, which he plays a geisha in whiteface, uh, and it is not impossible to interpret that episode as a reaction to Tina Fey, Robert Carlock, the uh, who's who's the co creator, uh, reacting badly to being called out for the depiction of Jane Krakowski as a Native American woman. In season one. In yeah. season one. And in season two. That they, no. they do not shy they still do not shy away from that. No. And I like I like it better in this season than I did last year, um, to be honest. The the Jane Krakowski stuff. But Well they definitely they went they went a pretty easy route at the end of the year on, on how to get people back on their side towards yeah. the Jane Krakowski route, which honestly I'd argue is is a little bit more on point towards what uh 
what they're trying to say and what they're trying to how they're reacting to critics than what happens with Titus. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I agree that that episode is very much doubling down on the point that they were trying to make in season one with Kurkowski's character. But I think that the, the reading of that episode is entirely dependent on your perspective going into it. As critics, it's very much easy for us to see that episode apply to our world and be a reaction to what we were saying. And I think that a lot of people who watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt slash you know, follow Tina Fey are going to see it in a similar way because, you know, that's her humor. She's very much someone who's socially conscious, into pop culture, very aware of the conversation that's going on around her. Um, but, but, gets, but she gets really defensive is the thing. Like, even, sorry, not to cut you off, but like, but like, in, remember the 30 Rock episode, TGS Hates Women, mm-hmm. which is basically like her saying, you know, stop critiquing my, stop critiquing my feminist values. Yeah, which I also thought worked really, really well. But... I, I, I think that I'm not saying that this is not what she did or not what they did. I'm not saying that it wasn't a response. I'm saying that it's not an egregious response in the way that it, it like almost is pulling you out of the season and making you look at it in a separate way. It's like saying, okay, this one episode isn't really about what's going on in this episode. It's not about the characters anymore. This is about us making a point. This is about us you know, saying, look back at season one, just wait. We're going to show you where it's going and it's going to be okay. I don't think that's necessarily how it works. I think that there is such a strong movement towards PC culture, which has been pushed on by a lot of comedians in this realm as well, like a lot of pushback about what they can and cannot say. I think that the, that very much applies to them as well. And especially considering what goes on with uh, Carol Kane's character in the later half of the season about, you know, defending their territory and keeping things as they are and being able to do whatever she wants in her neighborhood and not, you know, letting this other culture creep into it. I think that that speaks very much towards that as well in mm. that, you know... I hadn't made that connection, but that's really interesting. They're just trying to they're just trying to make that point that there is a danger to this. There is a danger to some things that people only see as being politically correct or progressive. And I'm not necessarily saying that everything about the, what their argument constitutes is correct, but watching that episode, I think you can see it in both ways as opposed to only seeing it one way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just think that the, the thing I didn't like about that episode was the, I, the notion that the notion that if you are offended by something, it is because you're not paying proper attention or that you're not interpreting it the correct way. And sometimes you know, that very much falls into I'm the I'm sorry you were offended Thing, as opposed to I'm sorry that I did something that offended you um, like that's there's a distinction between those two things and both both are equally you know it is it is it is a job the job of a creator to make sure that their vision is being communicated completely and if their vision gets miscommunicated somehow there's equal that you know they're not they're not they don't lack responsibility for that oh yeah and this is I mean what you were saying before too about the about the I'm sorry if you were offended versus the I'm sorry I, I offended you. Yeah. The, the difference between that statement, it's very important. It's very, you know, it's, it's huge when you're actually hearing so many of these, you know, fake apologies. What I would say is that I trust Tina Fey to already know that distinction. I trust them to know that much. So I can trust them to go along with this argument, which I think builds upon what they were saying rather than just repeats it. And, um, I mean... I don't know. I, I 
I completely understand that there is a danger in, in, in saying these things and, and being worried about, you know, being worried about, you know, moving in that direction. But I think there's there's danger going the other way with it too. So I, I I'm glad that somebody who is as provenly, you know, progressive and and good as Tina Fey, somebody that we've accepted in this realm, um, is willing to make an argument that's very, very hard to make. I mean, I suppose. But I, I would also say that it is, it, I, it, I think it is up to interpretation to some degree, and I'd be interested to hear what other people have to say about it. Um, oh, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely going to be discussed, and I, I, what honestly I'm worried about and curious about is, again, because it's something that speaks directly to critics. You know, those people who did have a problem with it last year, they already have a voice. They already have the ability to put stuff on the Internet, to have their articles up, to get that conversation going in their direction. Right. I want to make sure that the other angle is out there because it, it's it's prevalent and it exists and it builds upon what was there before. Right. So there's not just one way to view it. Yeah, I think, honestly, part of my problem is just the confla- conflation of, like, Internet mob rule versus critical opinion. Like that, there's there's no real distinction being made there, and there they are different things, and you know, it's a, it, I hate to see it discounted. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point, and it's it's one of those things that you know, as we get further and further down the the pipeline of of, of critical and and mob rule, I guess mm-hmm. that line just continues to blur because there's just. There's so many voices that are that are out there, and some of them gain prevalence without, you know, the vetting that other people, you know, have to obtain before they have that yeah. prevalence. So, it's an interesting argument to be made. It'll be one that I'll be curious to see if it backfires on them at all or not. Like mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that most people who kind of just love Kimmy Schmidt will binge right past it, and I think most critics will get pretty hung up on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the season is so full of delights. Again, the casting is incredible. I didn't get a chance to highlight Anna Camp mm. in my review, uh, but good Lord, she's so good. Yeah. Uh, and that's an actor who hasn't necessarily gotten to do something quite so hilarious as this is, and it's incredible. Uh, Anna Camp is great. The whole cast, uh, the you know, getting people like David Cross in for small roles, like, that's never a bad thing. It's all wonderful. Yeah, Amy Sedaris is great, too, as our as oh. our wonderful Zach Scharf has, has pointed out a few times today already. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's She was in season one, too, but she's a delight in this one. They really amped her up. And yeah. She's kind of just, she fits in perfectly to this world. So. She really does. Um, yeah, no, so it was it was very, very solid. Uh, in the long run, and are we looking at a season three as, as one beneficially renewed? Uh, no, I don't think it's out there yet. This one got the two-season pickup right away, so they'll have to announce the season three. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Oh, man, Liz. It's my favorite, well, is it my favorite type time of year? Uh, is this it a sportsing thing? It might be. No, it's not a sportsing thing. Um... I don't think this is my favorite time of year, but I can't think of a more generic way to say that I am so incredibly excited that Veep is back. Aww. Veep has returned. I got to watch the first episode uh, on Sunday. I love it. It's still fantastic. I just... You're so full of Veep love right now. I, I love Veep. Veep is just... 
It's just the tops. I don't. I mean, you'll. I'll have plenty of words about this that Liz will wonderfully and graciously edit. Probably fifteen hundred uh, uh. to thirty thousand. Um, we'll have our Veep episode reviews, obviously, as well throughout the season. But yeah, season five starts this coming Sunday. Um, there's some other shows starting on Sunday that nobody gives a fuck about, but Veep, <laughs> Veep is starting, guys. So make sure you tune into Veep. It's, it's fantastic. How many dragons are on Veep? I don't care. <laughs> the dragons are overrated. Um, <laughs> Liz, Liz, why don't you tell us what uh, what was the best thing you watched last week? Oh man! Uh, so I've seen tonight's Better Call Saul season, the season finale. Oh shit! And yeah. It's it is it is one unending pile of oh, oh shit. <laughs> it's it's, um, and oh lord, I'm so glad they have a season three. Um, it's it it. The, I think the the best thing about season about this tonight's episode and just the season in general is like, that it's going to surprise you in ways you never anticipated. It zags in such an interesting direction, mm-hmm. and I cannot wait for the zig for next season. Uh, so that's my answer to that. Great answer. Yes. That's exciting stuff. Yes. Uh, I'm so ah, that show makes me so nervous. Every every episode, I'm just like something terrible is going to happen. I just something terrible. Yeah, and but then what was the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, the next thing I'm looking forward to to keep this episode at least on my end 100% comedy related. Uh, Time traveling bong. <laughs> airs Wednesday on Comedy Central with Alana Glazer and Paul W. Downs, both of Broad City fame. Um, I can't, I mean, what more do you need to know other than the title and that Alana Glazer is in it? I mean, I cannot wait for this thing. And Liz, you've seen it. Don't I've spoil seen it. too much, but I I, I will say wait. that it was pretty delightful. Uh, I, I, watched, I watched all three parts, and I'm a big time travel nerd. And I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff they did. Like, there's some, there's some pretty killer, well done jokes in it. Uh, Liz, is the time traveling slash show in general better than DC Legends of Tomorrow? <laughs> Don't you dare! <laughs> Don't you dare try to make me pick. I will say, uh, um, I, I will say that Legends of Tomorrow is more my speed, more my t- cup of tea, but I will say time I will traveling speed. I will I will I will I will tell you the time traveling in time traveling bong is more coherent than, oh, than legends of tomorrow. I would hope so. I mean, it's hard not to be. Interstellar is more more, more coherent than legends of tomorrow. That is not true. That is a fact. That is not true. Yeah, I disagree. Um legends of tomorrow everything is actually based on science and not the power of love. Uh Excuse me, which show has been defended by Neil deGrasse Tyson? Um, neither. Interstellar. Interstellar. Um, well, Neil deGrasse Tyson just hasn't watched Legends of Tomorrow yet. Yeah, for good reason. Liz, <laughs> what's the next thing you're looking forward to, though? Nice try. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, uh, well, we'll keep, keep well, complete comedy, uh, well, better call, except with the exception of Better Call Saul, uh, I keep forgetting that we have Grace and Frankie screeners, and I can't wait to check those out. Uh, Grace and Frankie was a show that really, it it figured itself out by the end of its first season, and it was really surprising in a lot of really great ways, and uh, I really like that cast, even even the kids who I've heard, I've heard people don't like the actors playing the kids, but I'm a a fan of June Diane Raphael. She's great. She's great, uh, and I don't, I I ain't gonna hate Nathan Embry, and... Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think they're. I think it's 
it's it's not the greatest ensemble on television, but that's just because there are a lot of really great ensembles on television right now. Well, I think the biggest problem with the kids is that you've got four of, like, just the best actors of a specific generation ever right. on the same show. Why? Why even waste time with, with like, see stories of these other people? Like, we, we know who we want in the show, and, you know, give us that. Fair point. But, yeah. But, yeah, it's great. I can't wait either. I love Grace Breaking. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, love fest. This love week's fest. a love fest, guys. This week's a love fest. I had that... a positive juice drink today, apparently, and that just, yeah, you're just overloaded me. You're just you're just full of excitement and verve and happiness. And great. you can read all about that on IndieWire.com, where you can find reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like about the shows you like. And if you want to hear uh, nothing but love for the Tribeca Film Festival, make sure you listen to Screen Talk with our very own Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn. I'm sure they'll also be talking a little bit CinemaCon, which Anne attended in Las Vegas last week. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of movies and a lot of information coming out of that. They get a you know long sneak preview. I think she saw 27 minutes of Finding Dory or something. Yeah, and she um, really liked them. She did. She did really like them. So yeah, make sure you tune into that. Yeah, and you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T Travers. And you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet with an I and an E. That's correct. We'll be back next week, and in the meantime, you guys. Keep watching television.